You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. We are picking back up in our All the Feels series, and uh, we've been talking about just our feelings and, and trying to line up feelings that we feel frequently up against the truth and say, okay, what do we do when our feelings don't line up with what is objectively true based on what God has declared to us about himself and about the world and about us in his word? And, and tonight we're going to try to do that with anxiety. Um, so this thought of like anxiety, such a buzzword nowadays, I feel like it's something that we all talk about that we have. Uh, but when you get down to it and you try to describe what is anxiety, sometimes it's, it's not something that you can necessarily put into words, but you know it when you feel it, you know? It's that sense of um, just like worry or fear or dread of something happening or dread of even the circumstances that are going on right now, or at least that, as you interpret things. And it can feel like a sense of like pressure or a sense of being overwhelmed by things. And, uh, and again, it's hard to describe, and, and it's hard to really pinpoint where it comes from for people, too, because I feel like anxiety for different people comes from different things, or we have anxiety around different things. It's not always the same for everybody. I think part of it for us is, you know, we're seeing so much more anxiety or feeling so much more of it because it's just, we live in a world with just so much stuff going on all the time, and you guys are probably really busy right, and you feel overrun at times, just overwhelmed with stuff. You just, your life is overcomplicated, but also like an, an overstimulation, like a constant stream of stuff, constant stream of info and, and entertainment and just like social media, and you just constantly are seeing other things and seeing other options in other people's lives and, and comparing them to your own, and it's just like this kind of, it's, it's sparked this overwhelm, a sense of overwhelm, we're like overthinking about things or expectations that we feel, like expectations we want to put on ourselves, or expectations that come from comparing ourselves with other people, or expectations we feel from somebody else, or from some institution that is now, you know, um, critiquing us, that we pay money to grade us on things, you know, like, we just, we get in this place of like, we can, we can get to where we're people-pleasing, we can get to where we're just trying to please ourselves, and trying to figure out how to, ha- how to be happy at all, because we just feel so much anxiety or overwhelmed feelings, and and we live in a broken world where we have sin struggles, and we do things that are wrong, and then we feel shame about those things, and we look back on things we've done in the past, and we wish we could go back and change things, but we can't. We worry about how those things are going to affect our future, or some of the mistakes that we're making right now are going to affect our future, and we feel this, like, relational brokenness that has come into the world because of sin, and it's just all this stuff. And not only that, but we have fears, like we're afraid of things. And some things legitimately, and we have the fear of death hanging over us and what may come with death. I'm not necessarily talking about us as believers because we know the one who has defeated death for us. But we still have that lingering over the back of our, of our minds because of the, this fallen world that we live in and the world around us that doesn't know Christ is feeling that fear of death and there's just, everybody's trying to run from it or make the most out of this life because they're looking ahead and going, there's an end point and I don't know what's going to come after that. And even for us who do know what's going to come after that, it could still feel like, gosh, you know, 
what, what is my life going to be in the future? And what, what, is, what is after this and all this stuff? And we just question, question everything, question our abilities, question who we are, question our identity, question God, question what he's got in mind for us. And, and we, can, we have this tendency to, to make things that aren't really that big of a deal in and of themselves into huge deals. And that's a lot of times what anxiety does. It, it, it takes something that is not as big a deal. It, it's something maybe that we have to think about or consider, but then it like blows it up into something else entirely and something that is, is bigger than us. It feels weighty. I heard this analogy because I was listening to this. I was listening to another podcast um, called Becoming Something, and they have an episode way back when, like from two years ago, talking about anxiety with this guy. And, and they were talking about anxiety with him, and he wrote this book on it and stuff, and he gave this cool analogy. He said that it only takes a glass full of water's worth to create an acre of fog. Like a whole acre block of fog can come from the amount of water in one glass. He said sometimes anxiety is like that. Our brains, you know, they, they take and run with something where it's not really that much. But man, spread out like that makes, makes it just feel like enormous, like it's overwhelming. I can't see because of it. And anxiety can do that. It can, it can even take small things that are, hey, I can deal with this. You know, this is not that big a deal. And then it'll bring it right in front of our face so it's the only thing that we can see and we can't see past that to anything else. You know, we don't see it in its proper perspective. We're just stuck looking right at the thing that makes us worried. And, and man, it, it can be tough on us. It can rule our life. It can dictate things. And, and the question comes up, is this sin? Because often it feels like it, right? It feels like it's sinful for me to be this worried or for me to, to fixate on these things. And I want to say that it's not necessarily always a bad thing to have like a fearful or cautious thought, you know, to think like what could happen or what might happen if I don't do this or I do do that other thing. It's not always wrong to have those like cautious or fearful thoughts come to our mind. Sometimes that actually sparks us into action to make us do something that we need to do. So it's not that fear necessarily is always sin or even a bad thing, but typically our anxious thoughts don't come to us in a way that makes us want to do what needs to be done. Oftentimes they come to us in a way that paralyzes us from doing anything or makes it too much pressure on ourselves to feel like we have to do just the right thing to get it just right or otherwise said thing is going to happen or said thing is not going to happen that I want to happen. And the things that we think of as our anxieties are not, you know, in the practical sense of caution and fear that leads us to right action. It's typically irrational thoughts, irrational fears, fears, fears about things and situations in which we can do nothing. We have no control whatsoever. Can't do anything to change the outcome, but we worry about it anyways. And it's, in that sense, it's irrational for us, right? And anxious feelings often misinterpret and misconstrue reality like we were talking about it, make it bigger or something bigger than it really is in our minds and in our hearts. And so is it a sin? I would say feelings or like temptations to be anxious are not sin. Having something come to your mind that, that is, is an anxious thought or an anxious feeling that comes to you either from a circumstance or from, you know, looking out in the future about stuff. I don't think those things coming to you are sin in and of themselves, but if we dwell on those things, it can be. And often, for a lot of us, that is what happens, right? That's where we find ourselves dwelling on things, just sitting there with those anxious thoughts and anxious feelings and letting them consume and distract and overwhelm us. And we probably get to the place where we feel really defeated. And one of the things that I want 
for us, you know, from talking tonight is, is I don't want us to assume a victim mentality. Like we're victims of our anxieties. And that they're going to hold us down forever. It's always going to be this way. I don't want us to have like an attitude of, of negativity or a, a woe is me. Like nothing at all can help. We're just always going to feel like this. We're always going to deal with these things. If it's not this anxiety, it's going to be something else. Let's not act like we're alone in this or that, that any anxiety that we face is so unique that there's no good way to deal with it. Because other people are wrestling too. Everybody in this room probably is, to some degree, wrestling with some sense of anxiety or a worry about something or a fear that you know is blown out of proportion in your own mind, an expectation that you feel overwhelmed by, I don't know. But every single person here is feeling and dealing with something. You know, and that's good news in a sense you know, that there's no temptation that you're facing or feeling that is not common to man. But I, I, I want us, you know, not to stay there. Okay, we feel good because everybody's dealing with it. But rather, let's look at some simple helps maybe. And the things that we're going to talk about hopefully will be helpful uh, from, from the text we're going to look at. And I want you guys to know that you're not in a helpless situation. You're not stuck where you're at. Stuck feeling the anxieties that you're feeling. So, we're going to be at Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9. It's a fairly well-known set of verses to, to address anxiety. But actually, I don't think it's something that we've even talked about here at Sojourn. I don't think I've talked specifically just about this passage at Sojourn since I've been doing college ministry here, and that's two and a half years. So if you would stand up, we're going to read through these six verses together. Okay, so Philippians 4, 4 through 9. You can follow along, and if you need to, you can look at the screen to follow along. Paul says this to the church in Philippi. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Are right, you guys gonna have a seat? So there's really one point. One point that I want to make with some application things after that. Cool, can we do that? What I want us to see is that real joy and peace can only come from knowing God. Real joy and peace can only come from knowing God, and it will. If you know God and walk with him, you will know his joy and his peace. I want you guys to know that, that you can count on him to bring about these things. You can't count on circumstances. You can't count on your feelings to get right or changes in emotion to get you to real joy and real peace. Because those things are, are fickle and they change. And you can't go on some pursuit of these things, pursuit of joy or pursuit of peace, just for themselves and find it. There's only one source. There's only one source, really, of real joy and peace. You might be able to find some semblance of joy in the world, something that makes you happy for a little while, something uh, some sense of comfort or a way to, to ease your own mind. But outside of God, it won't last. It's not real and lasting and full joy and peace. And so you can only find it in him. 
Look at some of the things he says in this passage. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And it's, it's not easy for us to rejoice in the Lord if things in life are not going well. You, you probably know what that's like. Things aren't going really well, or if you're overwhelmed with things, it's hard to rejoice in the Lord. And I think that's why he's, he has to repeat it. He says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Because it doesn't come necessarily naturally to us. Because we live in a broken world, and we still have sinful natures ourselves, and we still deal with stuff, and we're struggling with these feelings and thoughts of anxiety. But listen, he's saying you can rejoice in the Lord, like particularly in him. And this isn't like faking being happy. Okay, you, you guys probably know people in your life that you're like, that person is fake happy. They seem to be happy all the time, but it just seems like a show. Whether they are or not, I don't know. But, you know, you probably have had that thought before. Like, that person can never be, there's no way they could be that happy. This does not mean faking being happy if you're a Christian. This means having joy that is more steady and more foundational and firm within, whether you feel happy on the outside or not. And you get that joy from the Lord. You know, the root of the Greek word actually for rejoice is pretty close to the same root word in the Greek for grace. So they're connected terms. To rejoice or have joy and experience grace, they're connected things. So really, I think rejoicing is a matter of being centered on God's grace and centered on God's trustworthiness and not swayed by any circumstance or potential circumstance that might come your way. Rather, you are centered up on the grace of God, and that is what brings you joy. That is your joy. To know that you have his grace. And how is the Lord? How has the Lord shown his grace to us? Through the incarnation, Jesus Christ coming. Right? He's shown his love to us and his commitment to us and his grace to us by Jesus coming and taking on flesh and then dying in our place, a substitutionary death for us. That he might extend his grace to us by raising from the dead and, and being alive and, and a living savior to reach out to us and say, Look, your your sins can be forgiven because I took those things on the cross. He's extended this grace to us. But not only that, that grace is ongoing. Even after we receive that grace and salvation, which is an amazing thing in and of itself, but after we receive that grace and salvation, his grace continues in our lives. I love that Romans 8.32, it's not on the screen, and I'll probably mess up trying to quote it, but it's something to the effect of, if he's already done that for us, the cross, how will he not also, through him, give us all things? He's going to continue to show us his grace, and he's been gracious to us, and if you thought about it for a minute, you'd probably realize all the ways that he has been gracious to you. And look, he's, we can rejoice in these things, rejoice in the grace from the Lord, but also he talks about the peace of God, and then he talks about the God of peace. It's the peace of God in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. And then in verse 9, he says, and the, pe- the God of peace will be with you. The peace is tied to him. It's not just like, you want peace, and so God gives you this peace separated from him. The only way to find the peace is to go to him. And, it, and I, th- I see that in this, like that he's not just saying the peace of God that God can give you. Here you go, here's some peace. But rather, if you want the peace of God, you've got to go, go to the God of peace. And so it's in him that we find these things, that we can experience real peace. And this is similar to our talk uh, last time about desires. We said that you know, there's these desires, and God has placed them in us to fulfill those desires. He's got every intention of fulfilling the desires that he has put in us. 
in ways that, that he knows are right and true and good and according to his purposes and plans. Same thing with peace. We have this desire for peace. He absolutely plans to give us peace. But it's got to come in him, in his way, and with him. And, th- and Paul's going to go on, actually, and, and reference contentment in, in 4.13. He's going to say the same thing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he's saying, like, I can be content in every single circumstance because I have him. And that's what I want us to see, that real joy and real peace can only be found in him. And he also says this, that the Lord is at hand. Okay, he says that in verse 5. Verse 5 is kind of, almost kind of confusing. You know, the way it's worded, it doesn't feel like it fits necessarily in the context. But when he says that the Lord is at hand, well, I'll say this, it doesn't seem like it fits in the context of what we're talking about. It fits in the context of the passage itself, and we'll look at that in a second. But this idea of the Lord being near or at hand could mean a couple things. could mean that the Lord's return is near. And maybe what, oftentimes when you read a phrase like that in the New Testament, you're talking about the Lord being near, it, it means his return. So he's coming back. He's going to deal with everything that he has started. He's going to set everything right. He's going to bring justice and, and all these things. And he's going to set things right. But it also could mean that there's a sense of, of the presence of the Lord with us. Not only is his coming soon, but his presence is near. And either way, either way, when I read that, I, I see that there's a God who is not distant, but he is at work. And he's going to finish what he started in us and in this world. And there's, there's a weight to this declaration, just a short few words. The Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. It absolutely should affect the way that we respond to various circumstances. And even the way that we respond to our, our thoughts and our feelings. It, this should affect it to know that God is near. God is not distant. He's not aloof to what's going on, but he has purposes and plans. And he's going to bring them to fulfillment when he comes. To know these things should set our minds at ease. There's nothing that's happening outside of his purposes. And, and I'll admit, it's, it's easy when you're up against anxiety or facing any kind of struggle. Uh, it's easy to feel like the, that God is not there. God isn't near. It's easy to feel like God doesn't have a purpose for this. And yet, this is one of those instances where we need to just set our feelings up against the truth. We've got to take what we feel and set it up against what God has said. And where the two differ, we've got to take what God has said to be what's true. It's really easy for us to say, I, what I feel feels most real to me. You know, and, and, and our world would say, yeah, absolutely, go for it. Like, whatever you feel, that is what's real, that's what's true. And so speak your truth. But there's only one real truth. There's one defining truth for us that helps us to see what is true and what is not true about our own feelings. And so we read that God is near. It should redefine things for us to help us to realize that it's, it's not that he's distant. It's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't have a purpose for these things. But everything that I'm facing, even the struggle against anxiety, has purpose. And for us who are in Christ, it's not that he's near or, or coming soon to punish us for struggling with worry or any other temptation. But rather, he's near to draw us near to himself, to show us his peace, to give us a firm place to stand, to give us a hope and a future, and to keep us going with him until we are with him forever. We need to consider who he is. This is the God who invites us to come to him to pray, for, to pray and experience his joy and peace. 
This is the God who is sovereign. Consider his, his sovereignty and his providence just for a second. If he rules over everything and nothing happens to thwart his plans, if he is overseeing all things and working all things for the good of those who love him, those called according to his purpose, then what am I doing worrying about what's happening to me or what's going to happen to me? When I'm one of his children, I'm the child of the most high God, right? And, and I can trust that if he's allowing something to happen, it has purpose. Think again about his omnipresence. If there is not a single place that I can go where he is not there with me, then there's no experience that I'm ever going to have where I'm far away from him. He's always going to be there. So how could I believe that I'm going to be just left alone or that I'm ever alone? You know, consider his justice. If, there's, if he is just, then is there anything that could happen to me that he won't make right in his own time? Consider his mercy and his grace displayed on the cross. Is there any way that I can fail or have failed that would be too great for him to forgive? No. You know, consider his love as most vividly displayed on the cross and in Jesus. Do I really believe that he doesn't have my greatest good in mind if that's what he is willing to do for me? You know, if this is the Lord that we're told we can rejoice and find peace in, then we can't sit here with this thought of, oh, I'm a victim to these anxieties. I'm always going to feel weighed down by these things. I'm always stuck in this pattern. Like, No. Jesus has overcome the world. And we have overcome with him by faith, whether that is our felt experience already or not. I was talking about this with somebody the other day, that there are certain realities that are already true. Just factually, it is done, and yet we experience those realities more and more as we grow in Christ. Okay, so I'm already a new creation. I already, I already am that. That's who I am in Christ. I'm a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. And yet I still struggle against the old, right? I still struggle with sinful nature. I still struggle with temptations. It doesn't feel like the old me is always gone, but it is a fact that I'm already new and the old is gone. But I, I don't experience that until I continue to grow in sanctification and I continue to grow in Christ. I feel that more and more. So I want to say the same thing is true about his peace. It is a fact. We have overcome the world already. We may not feel that all the time. But as we continue to grow in Christ, we begin to recognize it more and more and to realize it and experience it more and more, regardless of the circumstances that are happening around us in our lives. It's that sense of inner peace of just like, I am with him. I know who I am. If I know that I'm in Christ, I know I'm a new creation, I know I'm God's beloved child, then nothing can hold me down. Nothing can defeat me if I'm in him. And, man, that's one of the best things you can do is remind yourself <clears throat> who you are. You know, I, whatever I'm preaching to you tonight, I promise you I've already preached to myself a lot of times. Because I have dealt with anxiety. I did not know I was an anxious person. I didn't know this was going to be the way that I was going to be. I, I felt like when I was in high school, I was like the chill guy. Didn't, didn't have any worries. But in reality, when I look back, I'm like, okay, I can, I can see the seeds of it starting in high school. And then, or maybe even before that, middle school. But then I get to, to college, and again, I'm trying to like be this relaxed guy that doesn't have any worries or cares. But man, it was there. It was in, in maybe in like small form. Man, when I hit adulthood, it was like extra responsibilities and then Honestly, with like COVID in that season of life, so many anxieties just started to pop up in my life. Just like so many things I would worry about and irrational things and even things that did make sense, but 
were things that were outside of my control. And, and I didn't have any point in worrying about them because I, I couldn't do anything about them. You know, and, and it was just like so many of these things. And so I have preached some of this stuff to myself. And I'm, I'm telling you, one of the best things that I ever discovered that helped me just in moments of anxiety is to preach the truth to myself that I'm in Christ, that I'm a new creation, that that's who I am. I'm not these other things. I, I'm not the anxious person. I'm not the overwhelmed person. I'm not the person that is that is bound to struggle with these things. I, I'm not the person that Satan would like to tell me that I am. You know, my temptations don't define me. None of these other things define me. It is Christ who defines me. And I had to remind myself of that. I preach these things to myself. And so when I say these next few things, I, I'm about to, to lay out what is it that we do with this. This reality that joy and peace can only f- be found in the Lord, what do we do with it? I'm going to give you five things. And when I tell you that, when I tell you these things, just know that I preach them to myself. I continue to preach them to myself. Okay? You're not alone in this. I've been there. And so here, here's what we do. What makes sense for us to do when we, when we have these anxieties, but then we line them up against this reality that these things can be found in Christ? For one, count it all joy. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I don't know about you, but anxiety feels like a trial. You know? It feels like my faith is being tested. Did you know that, like, actually the word anxiety, the Greek word that we translate into anxiety, can mean, like, parts or divided into parts. It's kind of like got that meaning. It comes from a root word that means literally parts. So when you talk about, like, being anxious, it's like I'm divided into things. I'm pulled in different directions. And man, it, that sounds like testing of faith, right? Where I want to trust in the Lord. I want to believe in him. I, I, I want to believe that he's got my best in mind for me and all this stuff. I, I want to trust him. Man, I'm pulled. I'm pulled in different directions because I got these other fears and these temptations and these worries that tell me I can't trust in the Lord. And look, when we face these things, he says, count it all joy. That we can and must believe that God has purpose even in these struggles, that he's not, this is not just him forgetting about us, like, oh, oh gosh, now they're struggling with temptation and, and anxiety and stuff. Let me, let me pull them back out of that. No, he's, he's always aware of what's going on with us, and he always has purpose, that it's, it's working towards something. And I can choose to rejoice because I know the goodness of his grace, and I could trust in his ultimate plan. And honestly, this is something that we have to choose because it's so easy to become frustrated when we're anxious. So easy to become frustrated with ourselves, frustrated with God for allowing us to wrestle with these things. And it may be that our anxiety, our struggle with anxiety, has become sin for us. Sin in the way of of giving in to the worries and not trusting the Lord. And maybe we've even gotten to the place where we're just, you know, hating life in a sense because of just how much anxiety we feel and we're longing for days where the anxiety is over and we we just want it to be done. We don't want to deal anymore. We've got to come back to these things and not miss out on, on the fact that God is doing something. That these aren't wasted days. This isn't a wasted struggle. That God wouldn't even be allowing these things in our life if he didn't have purpose for us walking through it with him. So what are we to do? Obey the command. Rejoice in the Lord. Find joy in his grace. And believe that any trial that you face, be it circumstances, temptations, unwanted thoughts, irrational fears, 
you can know that God is working to make you steadfast through it. That who you are and who you become through this are going to be shaped in a way, by the way that you respond to these feelings of anxiety. So we want to respond with rejoicing in the Lord. Faith in the Lord, trust in the Lord. And as you do this, understand God has every intention of guarding your heart and your mind. We read that in verse 7 of our passage. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's not leaving you behind to face the trial alone. He's not putting you to the test and just like putting something else. You ever like had a, like a proctor for a test? You know, the professor wasn't even in there. They just, somebody else is just standing in to watch you take the test. God doesn't walk off and leave a proctor with you, you know? He's always there walking through these things with you. He invites you to walk in faith and do this next thing because he has every intention of giving you his joy and peace. And that next thing is to talk to God about what you feel. To talk to him. And prayer is simply that. Talking to the Lord. He says, let your requests be made known to God. What are the requests? Whatever it is you feel that you need. You know, do you need comfort? Do you need hope? Do you need some strength? Do you need wisdom? Is there a fear that's dominating you? Is there something outside of your control that's happening or that your word is going to happen? Whatever those things are, take it to God. Make it known to God is what he says. Let your request be made known to God. And here's the interesting thing. Why would he say make your request known? Is it, is it that God doesn't know already? No, he knows. He already knows exactly what you are struggling with. He knows what you're up against. He doesn't need you to tell him, but you need to tell him. He doesn't need you to tell him, but you need to go to him and tell him. That's what you need. God knows what you need. He's always aware of what's going on with you. And that's so helpful to remember, but it's still a command for us to bring these things to him. We're still to make these requests known to him. And the point is for us to go to him with it rather than to retreat into ourselves with it. Because that's so often what we do, right? We want to run away from him or run away from other people. We just want to deal with these anxious thoughts on our own. And what he's saying is like, no, whatever you have, whatever requests you have, bring them to the Lord. And so much of being a Christ follower is simply like persevering, just keeping the faith no matter what happens, no matter what we feel. And prayer is a huge part of that. Prayer itself is an act of trust. Prayer itself is an act of trust. It is me going to God and saying, even by praying, even if it's not coming out in the words that I'm saying to God, me praying at all is saying, I trust you, even if I'm having a hard time trusting you. And maybe you do. Maybe you have a hard time trusting him, but tell him those things. He's not going to be frustrated or suddenly disappointed or let down. He already knows that you're struggling. He already knows you're struggling to trust him. If there's a temptation with anxiety in us, he wants to hear about it from us. He wants us to talk to him about it. And there's a temptation, though, with anxiety to fixate on whatever it is that we're anxious about. Anxious is going to happen or might happen or has happened. And we could become aggressive about trying to fix things ourselves and, and to fix what we're fixated on. We can also get to this place of despair where we're just upset that we don't have any control or we feel like we're out of control. But what if instead of fixating on the issue or the worry or the response or how to handle these things, what if we, instead we fixed our eyes on the Lord? I'm no longer trying to fix this on my own, but rather I'm fixing my eyes on him. And anxiety doesn't give ground easily, so we're going to have to keep keep at it, to continue praying. What 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, pray without ceasing. Keeping an open line of communication, bringing these things to the Lord. There's a third thing. We want to thank God regularly. 
he says to pray with thanksgiving. Why? Honestly, I think because thanksgiving sets the tone for our prayers. It sets the tone of a prayer of faith. When I go to God and I thank him for things, it's really setting the tone of my own heart. It's, it's turning things away from, from all the things that I feel like I need, things that are overwhelming me. If I can go with, to him with thanksgiving and begin to list the things that I am thankful that he has done for me already, it begins to take the eyes and the focus and the, and the fixating off of these other things. Right? And it sets the tone for my prayers. And this is really just remembering what he's done. To know what he's done is to be more certain of what he can do. So when we remind ourselves of the things he's already done, we, are, we can begin to believe that he's up to something right now that is beyond me, that, he, that, he, that I can't even comprehend. You may have a hard time thanking him for the struggle that you're facing and, and counting it all joy, but I'm telling you, there's, there are a million ways that the Lord has blessed you, the least of which is your, well, I, won't, I don't want to say the least of which, the first point is your salvation. That is the, the firm foundation of everything that he's done for you. And then beyond that, he's blessed you in so many other ways. And so we can go to him and recall these things, and it helps put our situation in perspective. It helps us take that thing out from in front of our face that we're so focused on and put it in its proper perspective in our life to see the blessings and the good that God has done and the work that he's up to instead of focusing on this one thing. So make Thanksgiving a regular part of your prayers. You know, make a practice out of getting up maybe in the morning, and, and the first thing you do is just thanking the Lord for giving you another day. As I've gotten older, I'm like, I feel like as you get older, you feel like, hey, death is closer, you know. Uh, just for all of us, I guess, every day you're one day closer. That's super morbid sounding, but like real life, I've woken up so many more mornings lately and just been like, thank you, God. Thanks for waking me up. I'm thankful for this day. And it's become part of my prayers, and, and maybe we need to make a habit out of that. Thanking God just for the day that he's given us. Or make a habit out of just voicing a prayer every time that we have something that we're thankful for. Something that we recognize as a blessing of God in our life. We just stopped in that moment and said, thank you, Lord, for this. We made a habit out of that, and that was, that was part of our lives. Because Thanksgiving, honestly, can rewire our brains to think in more positive ways. I don't have the science behind that. I haven't done the research. But I'm certain that it's true. Because I've experienced it myself. Practicing Thanksgiving can rewire our brains to think in a more positive way, particularly in a more positive way about what God is doing and can do in our lives. There's another thing. I want to choose what you will dwell on. Choose what you'll dwell on. He says, don't be anxious. It's that word. Don't be, don't be divided in your mind between what you trust in God and these worries that you feel. And this isn't just to say, hey, stop it. Hey, quit. Because honestly, we know that's, it's easier said than done. It's more of, hey, you don't have to dwell on these things. You don't have to continue to be anxious about these things. Yes, an anxious thought came. Yes, a fear. Yes, an irrational thing or whatever. An unwanted thought came up. But you don't have to continue to dwell on those things. You can choose what you will dwell on. Listen, you don't have to believe that you are a victim without any hope. That because you thought something or an anxious thing popped up in your head and, and you're stuck on it, that you have to stay there. You don't. You know, I've, I've told you all this before, but I, I have a daughter who, she has worries. I don't know. I guess she got them from me. I don't know if it's genetic, but if it is, she got them from me. 
And she worries about things, and often it's at night. She'll come up with questions like, what about this? What if this happens? Blah, blah, blah. And I have to tell her, look, you don't have to think about that. Can you do anything about that? Can you do anything at all about the question that you have? No. If you can't do anything about that, there's nothing that you can do right now, then just trust the Lord and go to sleep. Because you can choose what you're going to dwell on. You don't have to dwell on those things. And I tell that to myself. And I would tell that to you. I'm telling it to you right now. You know, if you have thoughts that come up that are like, unintentional. Don't make assumptions about yourself or about your thought life or about where you stand with God based on unintentional thoughts that come to your mind. Don't let those things define you because they don't, right? Ask those thoughts some questions about if there's any truth to it. Is there anything about it that's helpful? Is there any part of it that is, that is leaving out part of the story? Is there any part of that that's clearly going against what we believe to be true from God's word? And impress those thoughts If you want to wrestle with them, poke some holes in the argument and say, look, this thing, when I line it up against the truth, just doesn't have it. And then bring those things up against what you know to be true from God's word and and let the word remove anxiety's power over you. Because he says, set your minds, you know, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Like we have a choice. He says it like we have a choice, right? So we have a choice. Let's choose to set our minds on these types of things because feelings come and go. They rise and fall. They're transient. And it may not be easy for us to deal with them in the moment, but you can absolutely alter them by thinking on things that are more solid and more real. The feelings themselves, they may be real. You feel them in the moment. right? They may represent even truth of, of the situation of things that are going on but there's something more real, and it is God's word. We can take up God's word and, and bring it before our eyes and, and let it tell the truth to us when we, are, we have a tendency to forget. Because you may feel like what you feel is the most thing, true thing about you, and you can't get away from it. You can't separate the feelings from reality, but the word of God can. Okay, Hebrews 4.12 says this about the word of God. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What he's saying is the word has every ability to get down to the truth. It can separate things, help us to see things clearly, show us where we believe things that aren't true, and it can show us our sin as well. And sometimes there is sin in the background complicating things. And when we go to God's word, it helps us to see that so that we're able to repent of the sin and step away from those things. And maybe those things are what is underlying some of the anxieties that we have. The word of God is a light that dispels the darkness and it it will always accomplish what God sends it to do. So you can't always choose what comes to your mind, but you can choose what you're going to dwell on. You can't always choose how you're going to feel, but you can choose what you're going to give ongoing attention to and what you're going to do with the feelings. One last thing I want us to do. Focus on what you can do. So much of our anxiety is around things that are out of our control. We, we fear or we worry about things that we cannot do anything about. You can't make sure that everything that happens to you happens in the way you want it to. And you can't make sure that everything that you don't want to happen in your life doesn't happen. You're not in control in that way. So what do you do? Do what you can do. If there's anything you can do in a situation, then act. Act and do what is right, right? Check your life. Because... Our actions, 
You know, we, we can maybe act to help some things, but also our actions affect our thought life and our feelings. And this is where we can come back to the sin problem. Yeah, sometimes our anxieties arise out of our sin. Maybe we've been giving in to things and there's been consequences. And the consequences are, are, are conflicted things in our minds, maybe feelings of shame, whatever. And, and the sin has brought some of these things on. And so praise be to the Lord that he is gracious toward us and that we can come and bring those things to him as well and bring those things. Like say, I confess these, things, these sin issues, these areas of my life. Because if there's willful sin in your life, you can't expect to have the peace of God. If you are willfully sinning, unrepentant in your life, then you're probably foolish to think that you're going to experience any of the peace of God. So what can you do? Check your life. Look for those sin, the sin areas of your life that may be causing some of these things and bring them to the Lord. But listen, beyond that, if there's something that you can do about a situation that you're worried about, something that you know is right to do, do it. If there's nothing that you can do, leave it to the Lord. So focus on what you can do. One huge aspect of something that we can do is something Paul said earlier in Philippians. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know that whole phrase that kind of confusing, well, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Your, your text might say gentleness. He's talking probably about the context of the situation. There's an issue going on in the church that he just addressed in the previous verses before verse 4. And I think he's telling them, like, be gentle, be reasonable, look after the interests of these other people before, the inter- before your own interests. And he's just said that in chapter 2. And I think one of the big issues with anxiety is that it makes us so focused in ourselves, turns us inward, makes us self-centric, and it's, it's self-centric by nature, and it eats away at our relationships. It eats away at our relationships because it makes us focus on just ourselves and trying to get right ourselves and figure things out ourselves, whatever. Just, even if our anxieties are about someone else, it's still a selfish thing. In, in a way, it is still about us. And so it's this, how can I help myself not be so worried and anxious about things? Don't just think about your own interests. Think about the interests of others. It's one thing that you can do.